least the weather has gotten better, Shannon. That's oh, yeah, that, that, that means we can go golf. No, it doesn't. It means we can't go golf because we're shut down here. In Ontario. And a significant percentage of our audience is in the province of Ontario, so they will understand. The 30 or 35 or whatever it is percent that aren't here, well, too bad. They're laughing at us. I don't know all the details. They're laughing at us. Is Ontario the only place in Canada where golf is prohibited? Uh, I'm not quite sure about that, Bob. You know, I, I talked to people in Manitoba yesterday. They're playing golf. I talked to people in Alberta yesterday. They're playing golf. So... Uh, I guess I should introduce ourselves. Oh, okay. Um, I'm Bob McCowan. That's John Shannon. And it is a, um, wait, Thursday. Thursday the 13th. You know, the ever-dreaded 13th of Thursdays. Thursday the 13th, right. Of course. It's a very unlucky day. (laughs) It is for us. (laughs) Every day is Thursday the 13th then for us. Uh. Uh, we are going to spend some time on this program. It will just be John and I. So if you want to go and do something else rather than uh, just listen to the two of us, I mean, if you're if you're completely focused on on our guests, then away you go because there won't be one today. We were we were canceled or postponed, postponed or left at the altar again, again. Well, I'm not worried about being left at the altar. I've, I've, I've been to the altar a few too many times. Oh, do tell. Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, uh, we only have 46 minutes. <laughs> only? Talk slow, John. Uh, we are going to spend some time. We may get into a bunch of other stuff. Who knows? It, it often happens when um, the two of us talk. But as the... NHL's regular season comes to a grinding halt and the playoffs are at hand just a couple of days away. One of the more interesting situations is the coaching carousel. Um, And we will address that guys who are um, guys who've been fired guys who have quit. You don't get that very often. Um, uh, Do they go back in other guys who've been out for a while? Are they going to get opportunities? What specifically does my friend Shannon think of all this? We'll address it when we continue or begin, as the case may be, after these messages. Well, it's McCallum with Shannon on the uh, program for this uh, this day. Hey, did you see that Dwayne Casey got a contract extension extension in Detroit with the Pistons, and they were awful this year? Well, they've pretty much been awful since before he got there, and they haven't improved much under him. But you know, I I love Casey, and I think I think he's a really good coach. Yeah. And but it is you're right; it is unusual. Yeah, he he got an extra year through the 2022-23 season, and I was actually shocked. I figured at the end of the year, with the way the team had played, that uh, well, that uh, he would be on the way out. Uh, it raises the question as the executive producer of this show or whatever the hell you want to call yourself. It, it, it doesn't matter to me because of course it, it, you don't get paid for it, but um, hold on, hold on. What, what, no, no, there's no holding on. That's a fact. And that's, that's etched in stone. Why haven't we had Casey on the program? Well, we might now that's a good idea. Thank you very much. It's a good idea. 
suddenly because then he can then he can then he can say bob because he was the famous guy well i'll tell you that's a very good question bob well he loved using your name every time well bob well we're we're friendly and and um i like him a lot well if you're friendly why don't you book him well i can but it's not you know i don't want to take away from (laughs) your responsibilities on this project i have no responsibilities well that's about the only thing you do i mean you know you utter four or five words you extend the program beyond the deadline with a question out of the blue right at the end of the show which screws up everything i haven't done that for two or three shows well no because i'm I'm being very cautious now and not letting you in. You know, maybe you should keep track of the time. Like when you were in the truck at Hockey Night in Canada, did you not have a clock? Yeah. You know, did you not have a stopwatch or something? Did you not know what time? I listen. I can do. I can do it off the top of my head. Well, but this is a forty-six minute show, yeah. not forty-six oh one, not forty-five fifty-nine. You can't start asking elongated questions with 30 seconds left in the show, which you have done on occasion. And I don't understand that with your, you know, 80 or 100 years of history of being in the truck and understanding timing is everything. Timing is everything. Well, but you pay no attention to it. Well, I, but I, 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 I get that last question, the last moment that I think will change the course of the well, show. But that, no, it, but it doesn't do that. All it does is it puts us over time. All it, all That's it does, all is, it accomplishes. All it does is tick you off. That's what it does. Well, it does. Yes, because you don't really, you. I mean, you don't really. You just want to get off the air at that point. No, I'm conscious. We, we of need the to fact be able to squeeze that last. We need to be able to squeeze that last piece of information. Out of our guest. John, not to belabor this conversation because no one gives a flying fadoo, but when we weren't on radio as well, it didn't matter how long the show went. So when you threw a, a, a mindless, inane question in at the end of the show, it was of no real consequence. That's we the magic of a podcast, Bob. But now, now we have, a, a, this is a radio gig too. And they, there's a clock. We do 46 minutes. That's how it works? Yes. Okay. How much time do we have left now? A lot. (laughs) So get verbose. (laughs) I'll ask you you a question in minute 45. Well, (laughs) you've been resting your voice for the last, for the most of this week. You have said, haven't said. Hey, listen, how could I, uh, how could I sit there and not enjoy what Bob Elliott and Dave Hodge did yesterday? That was fantastic. Well, it was enjoyable, but you hardly contributed at all to the program. And that of course will be reflected in your paycheck. Can we get to the topic? The topic, at least to begin here, God knows um, how long this will last. Coaches in the NHL. Now let me start with this. Um, You know that I'm not, all that big on the value of coaches in any sport in any sport. Um, I think they are babysitters and it is about stuff that we don't talk about. Don't think about, don't see, keep the players happy with each other. Keep the players happy with you as much as possible. Uh, Do the pregame postgame interviews. Other than that, there's not much to do. Having said that, there are horses for courses and there are a bunch of experienced and arguably acknowledged NHL coaches available right now. Mm -hmm. 
Tortorella's gone from Columbus. Yep. Tockett has walked. Yep. Gabby is still out there, and we don't yeah. think about him much, yeah. but, yeah. Um, you know, it's only been, a, what, a year and a half? Yeah. Hey, Gerard Gallant? Well, and the, and the, and the most recent uh, addition to the list is David Quinn, who was the coach of the New York Rangers and, uh, and got fired. Well, yes. Uh, and I acknowledge there are guys out there that have been fired. I don't think Quinn has the resume of any of the others. Do you? Not, not at the NHL level. No. No. So, so what do you, plus, plus, plus there, if, if, if they get fired, that means there are vacancies. Plus, there's an additional coaching job coming up, and that's the in job Seattle. in Seattle. Who do yeah. you think gets the jo that job? Well, I, the the domino, in my opinion, the domino effect of everything is what uh, Rod Brindamore does in Carolina. And remember when we had he's Tom staying, Dundon, right? Dundon said he's staying. You don't think? You think? Well, why isn't it done yet? Why isn't it? Why isn't the the money, well, which is rumored to be just under two million dollars, is that enough for him? Why uh, has has the the deal been you know formalized but not yet announced? That's it, that's an interesting one. But that's the domino effect. Well, that, but that's the start. one. That's the one that will dictate where things happen because if Brindamore is available, and I'm not saying he is then he would be the first choice in Seattle. He'd be the top of the list, right? Yes, yes. Maybe which is all, why Which is why those. he shouldn't be going anywhere and should be signed in Carolina well, and it should be done by now. But for those that aren't aware, Dundon, the owner of the team, joined us, a, what, a couple of weeks ago. Uh -huh. And we specifically asked him about Brenda Moore and the contract. And he said, don't worry about it. It's going to get done. He said, and, I and keep, whoever I want to keep, I keep. His, his quote was, I don't mind spending money on people I like was his direct quote. Thank you for that, John. Um, which was saying, because he's, he's, he's renowned as being rather frugal well, with his money. Okay, but so we had that story, I think, first, not to try and pat ourselves on the back, but then in the subsequent days, uh, it was suggested that the number for Brindamore was 1.8 million, but not by us. That came from another source. Mm -hmm. Is that source legitimate? Or is that just somebody pulling a number out of their hat? To, oh, because, no, no. Because hockey people are notorious for not wanting to get scooped. And they essentially got scooped by a little podcast radio show on this one and probably felt like, oh, well, and I better come up with a oh, number. Yeah. Is oh, that the right number? I think that's low. Well, I, and I think that I, first of all, I, I do believe that that's the number from Mr. Dundon. Um, and I do believe that most people in the hockey world are shocked how low it is. Remember, we're, Bob, we're coming out of a regime and a time where uh, this all began with Mike Babcock getting $6 million. That's right. And, and Claude Julien, who has subsequently been fired, got $5 million. Alain Vigneault, who's on tender hooks in Philadelphia, got just over $4 million. Um, Rod Brindamore's record uh, is just as effective as the other three gentlemen in Agreed. a smaller market with a different group of players uh, and question and, and less, uh, I mean, maybe it's unfair, um, 
less prof, uh, less high profile goaltending, uh, and he they were going to give him one point eight million dollars. There, that's that, that's a number that uh, I think that Mr. Dundon would be happy with. I'm not sure Rod is very happy with. Well, it, and that's which why is one I, of the reasons why it hasn't happened yet. That's why I raised the subject, John, because yeah. I think the number is low. And I and I will say I'll go even further than that. I'll say if it was double that number, I would not be shocked, and I would say that's probably fair market value. And I'm not trying, and, and I'm not a guy who believes that much in coaches, but I think based on what he has accomplished, um, not just this year, but over time, and how Dundon says he feels about him, yeah. I don't think 3.6 is a, is a ridiculous number. Do you? I, the number, I thought it would begin with a three. Uh, to be honest, I did think it would begin with a three. There you go. Um, uh, I mean, hey, listen, Gabby was your buddy Bruce Boudreau was making th- more than three in Minnesota when he got uh, uh, told to leave. So I mean, there. Uh, but Tom Dunnett has never Tom Dunnett has never played by the rules that the rest of the league or the rest of the teams or the rest of the owners have ever played by. He's, he's never done that. Which is uh, I give you that. Which is e- either he's an outcast. Or he's a trendsetter. I'm not sure which one he is when it comes to to what's going on in, in this situation. At this point, with the fact that his team has played so well, they they won the division. Um, they have home ice advantage, at least I think through the the third round of the playoffs. I mean, they're uh, they're in pretty good stead. Uh, they they've done a um, they've done a pretty good job with his system because he's. Make no mistake about it. He's a hands-on guy. So um, with the playoffs, are they all set now? Is every No, no, it's not. Well, the, the 16 teams are in, but yeah, we, but we still have to decide. Not sure of the order. We're, not, we're sure of all the order except what's going to go on with your favorite team, the Vegas Golden Knights, who finished their season on Wednesday night. Uh, and are waiting for the result of the Colorado game on Thursday night to decide whether who whether who's first or second in that division. Right. So if you finish first, you get the fourth place team, and if you finish second, you get the third place team. Yeah. So if you if if Vegas finishes first, they get St. Louis. If they finish second, uh, they play Minnesota, and they've had a terrible time this year with Minnesota. With Minnesota. So, right. So, but everything else is set, and we're but we're going to do a we're going to do a playoff preview. Well, but I ask, I ask this not because of, I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm trying to just circle back. And, and that is, can you identify coaches who might be on the cusp of losing their jobs who are going to make the playoffs? Or do you think oh. that by simply making the playoffs, a coach secures his position? Because I, can, I, can, I think you can make the case that there are teams of whom the expectations were high. And if they get bounced in the first round, um, a coaching change would not be out of the question. Uh, I don't think I, 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 I just trying to go through in the, through my mind. I, I don't think, I don't think there's anybody like that at this point. I mean, there, uh, well, I, I'm I hesitant that, to say it. I'll give you one. Okay. Go that popped into my mind. And I, I hope it's not the case. Because he's a very good friend of ours, and and uh, I like him immensely, and I think he's a terrific coach. But he has been fired a few times over the course of his uh, career, and that's our friend in Winnipeg. And uh, 
they if they get bounced in the first round, this was a team that you and everybody else. Oh, I love them. I love very them. highly of, mm-hmm. and they played well, not quite as well as the Toronto Maple Leafs, but pretty close until the last what ten games. Yeah, and then they fell off the cliff. They've sputtered. There's and, no question. And Paul Maurice was not able to bring them, you know, off of that cliff, mm-hmm. at least expediently, which should not necessarily be his responsibility or his fault. But nonetheless, don't you think there's at least an outside chance That's if it. this team, you know, if this team loses to Edmonton and quickly, who knows? Yeah, perhaps, uh, perhaps that last uh, phrase that you put in there, uh, how they lose to Edmonton, m- becomes the issue. Um, I, I, you know, gosh, I, I, I don't see it because I do think do Paul I. Is a, I, I think Paul is a good coach. I don't, I don't see it. Um, uh, but he's, he's, you know, he's not beloved in the by the fan base at this point because of this last ten or eleven game streak. Uh, but I, the, the thing that I, we always talk about, and we talk about it in all the sports that have had, you know, strange abbreviated seasons, Bob, is that I, like, I don't think it's, I mean, it's an awful word to use. I don't think it's fair to judge any coach or any situation during this 14 or 15 months that we've lived through. I mean, the, the environment, the circumstances, the lifestyles, are so vastly different than what these guys were hired for uh, pre-pandemic. I, I just, I think the ground has shifted so much underneath everything that uh, it, to, to think think that we're going to judge a guy on what happened during this pandemic. I, I think that's a sign not of the, the coaches' inadequacies. I think that's a sign of ownership saying we're in full panic mode and rather than doing what they should do. Like, I don't, I don't think they should have fired David Quinn in New York. I don't think they should have fired anybody in New York, but I don't think, I don't think David Quinn deserved to be fired in New York. Uh, you know, it, it made, it made no sense. Tockett and Tortorella were different. They wanted out. They, they saw their life cycle in those cities in Phoenix and in Columbus. They, they saw them overdone. Um, Rick Tockett, started to work for a new general manager, Bill Armstrong. Armstrong wants his own guy. I can understand that. John Tortorella had been there six years. Uh, the life cycle of a coach, six years, a long time in this league. So I can understand that. When you have a team that's up and coming, you have a coach that's improving the team, just to fire the coach you know, three quarters away through the rebuild makes no sense to me. No sense to me. And, and that's the difference between what's happened in, in, in those three cities, what's happening in Buffalo with Don Granado. He's the interim coach. Cause they fired their guy, Rolf Kruger halfway through the season. Uh, again, is a, another scenario where does he have enough coaching experience to try to resuscitate a team that uh, has very little or no relationship with its best player in Jack Eichel. So there's, there's tons of different chapters of this book about how to fire a coach and when to fire a coach and why to fire a coach. And at times there's, there appears to be no rhyme or reason to it. Well, again, and I respect your opinion because it's, it, it's far more popular one than, than mine um, of the value of a coach and the relative value of a coach in this 
pandemic year where you're basically playing games every other night and don't have hardly any practice time. I just don't put a lot of stock in that. Yeah. And I know I'm out on a limb somewhere um, alone. Because uh, I think, again, it's really a social job. It's not really about a lot of teaching. It's really about keeping the players happy, keeping them motivated. You know, you got to be a well, and that And that's been really difficult for every team, even if you're winning during the pandemic. Because, well, I mean, we heard, we heard Robin Leonard earlier. In but the, that's why, that's why, John, I say that, you know, in this scenario, the value of a coach from the perspective that I value them mm -hmm. was even more important this year. So if that coach didn't get the job done this year, when X's and O's and you stand here and you stand there, um, you didn't have the opportunity to work on that stuff very much. Um, I think you can really boil it down to what this guy did between the ears of the players. Now, having said that, I acknowledge that the Tortorella situation and the Tockett situation are slightly different. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no assurance that either one would have been back next year with their, with those teams, but it's likely they both would have been invited back. Don't you think? Uh, no, you don't. No. And I think, who do you that think, would have, who do you think was going to get, get fired? Talk it. Because because the guy that the, the guy that well because of the Armstrong situation yeah the Bill Armstrong situation he wants his own guy and and yep. I, and this is a this is an organization that uh, you know it's going on the cheap as well uh, you know Rick Tockett probably getting paid more money than than the ownership in in Arizona wants to pay the other, and 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 to to talk about one that is a little more Canadian. The, the the Travis Green scenario in Vancouver is a fascinating one. Here's a guy that uh, did an amazing job in the bubble with his club. Um, had a really tough season this year between injuries for his key players well, like Pedersen, co the COVID thing, and then 23 days of COVID, including himself. Yeah. Um. To spend the last. Oh three months trying to find a way to get an offer from ownership. And then when numbers do come, they are far less than what is anticipated. So, so Travis green, who in my opinion is one of the, and he's in his forties, so it's difficult to call him young, but one of the bright young coaches in hockey uh, won't be out of work for very long. If if Vancouver doesn't re-sign him, and they're nuts not to re-sign him, but it but it begs it begs the question: Why isn't it happening in Vancouver? I mean, we all know there's a cash crunch of of teams, sure. But but that's supposed to change next year. There's supposed to be people in the seats next year, um, you know. But who who's who's going to Travis going to be working for? What's the future of the general manager in Vancouver? Well, but let's, that's a, let another different. That's another different scenario completely uh, and I, I i i mean obviously i respect your opinion and i have no axe to grind with travis green but it is it is fair to say that while the pandemic and other matters sabotaged their season to a great extent before the pandemic thing hit they were underperforming significantly underperforming and they were out of the playoffs and by a fair bit so um the if you're going to attribute wins and losses to a coach, 
the job that Travis Green did before everybody went down with COVID mm-hmm. could be, and with, could and be, without could be argued player, right? was at least disappointing, maybe disastrous. And, but but how much value do you put in that uh, he he didn't have his best player for two thirds of the season? What do you put in that? And 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 they they were they were riddled with injuries for most of the season. It's it, in many ways, Bob. It's the same question that you might have to ask in Winnipeg with Maurice because Nick Ehlers, who uh, hasn't played in over that span of what they've lost nine of eleven or something like that. Ehlers hasn't played at all. And he's supposed to be back for the playoffs next week, but who knows? And how much how much stock do you put in that? Is there is well, there some, again, it goes not back as to, much is, as most? Is there uh, a fairness doctrine to yeah, Paul, you've done a great job, and, but we didn't deliver you the hand that you should be able to play properly. Look, I'm I am uh, just for clarity. There's I can't no believe chance. you want Paul fired. Stop. <laughs> I. There isn't a chance in hell that I would fire Paul Maurice. I'd give no, him a I lifetime know. contract. I think he's a terrific coach and a terrific guy. And um, well, he got fired what twice in in <laughs> Hartford, Carolina. Yeah, he got fired twice in Carolina. Yeah, and, and once in Toronto, and once in Toronto. No. And I didn't understand any of them, and I didn't think it was justified at any time. I think he's one of the great coaches in the, in the National Hockey League. So I'm not firing him under any circumstance. Right. But that's not the premise under which we're having this conversation because we don't get to have a vote on that. Owners get to have a vote on that. General managers get to have a vote on that. And we both know that general managers will oftentimes fire the coach, mm-hmm. not because the coach deserves to be fired, but as a means to protect themselves. Correct. And for those that haven't heard that oratory from me, it works this way. General manager's getting pressure from the owner, thinks he might be ready to lose his job. He fires the coach. Mm. He dumps all the blame on the coach. He has the autonomy usually to do that without consulting ownership. And then the owner is left in a position. He said, well, I was going to fire the general manager, but now the coach is gone. You know, I don't want to look like a, a jerk and fire mm. the general manager too. I'll let the general manager hire another coach and see how that goes and delay my opinion on the general manager. And we both, I think, believe that that happens regularly in professional sports. Oh yeah. Well, and, and the hierarchy, it does become of the relationship between the manager and ownership that there's such a trust factor in the vision the ability to communicate the ability of the manager to manage up that protects him, uh, but doesn't protect very many people below him. And, and that's, that becomes a, a, a that becomes a, a fact of life in, in professional sports. And certainly, certainly um, in, in the national hockey league at this point. All right. Uh, we'll continue the dialogue maybe on this subject, if we have more to say, or maybe we'll uh, just switch gears to a, uh, an as yet undetermined topic of conversation. But we shall continue. Fear not, if you're still with us. Stay awake. <laughs> Back after these messages. McCowan and Shannon on the program today. Do you think Gabby's going to get another job? I do. I, I do. Um, I, I, I fear that... Um, 
the longer it goes, it does get a little uh, less relevant. Mind you, he has, you know, the interesting thing about Bruce is he has done uh, enough media in the United States, particularly where he's on the NHL network quite a bit, uh, that there is an awareness factor. That, that, That becomes the real question of uh when you're out of work is how do you make sure that people understand that you're available uh lots of guys don't like making that phone call uh some have agents there are a couple of people out there that uh represent coaches because player agents can't represent coaches so there's uh those are rules are in place even though i think that there are a few people that work around it um but so it's one of those things where you you look at somebody like bruce and say how does a, he make make communication with clubs, and how does he stay relevant? Certainly, people are aware that he's out there. Yeah. Is there is there a place where he is not to dwell on him? But yeah, it seems to me that Phoenix might be a an interesting place for him. No, I see. I, I think he's overpriced for them. I think that I think oh, maybe. That, I, I think that Arizona is going to go uh, the inexpensive route. The, the the this this time around um t- to be honest if if we were if we were starting a franchise uh and i needed somebody to bridge the gap between the team and the town bruce would be near the top of the list bruce is a great communicator bruce has fun bruce understands the role of what a coach is i mean bruce it's one of the reasons why uh, why he loves coming on the show with us is because well that's why we call him gabby because he you can't shut him up well and and he he gets it so um in you know personal preference aside if you were doing an analysis of we're in a an immature hockey market and we need to make sure that we raise the profile of hockey in our market bruce boudreau would be a great choice for but for seattle for seattle in- Okay, oh, but um, interestingly, he doesn't have any experience in really doing that. I mean, he was hired in Washington. It was a mature hockey market, more or less. It wasn't the greatest hockey market, still isn't, but mature market. It's a pretty good hockey market. How about Anaheim and Minnesota. So he hasn't had that. And that's why I brought Phoenix up. And I think Seattle is a very interesting too. Like we're almost running out of markets where you have to teach people about hockey, you know? But I, don't you don't you think Bruce's um, style is more uh, predicated on what you talked about? Is making sure the players are in a good spot. Well, that's why. I love, that's why. That's why he is a great coach. That's why he was the fastest, I think, ever to three hundred wins mm-hmm. as a coach in the history of the game. Yes, you got to have good players, but over a period of time, Bruce Boudreaux can relate to the players and. I think he exercises a level of authority in the room that the players, at least for a short time, respect. And then, you know, off the ice and away from the rink, you know, he, he's a fun guy. Oh, he'd be great on the, uh, he'd be great on the, the chicken dinner tour. There's so, no, no question about that. Yeah. Or if you're sell, if you're trying to sell tickets, now they don't have to sell tickets in Seattle, but they do, they do have to create a relationship with the market. Um, and, uh, you know, and through it, the it, media and Bruce, exactly. nobody's, oh, no. bet, nobody's better with the media than Bruce. Exactly. You know, there's no question. I mean, there's, there's no guy that, you know, Hey, Hey Bruce, listen, we need you to go on the morning show tomorrow at seven. And then 
We need to go on the other morning show tomorrow at eight. And then can you go over to the TV morning show at nine and be available? And by the way, can you be back for practice at 10? Yeah, well, it's you know, verbal, Bruce would do it all. Verbal chicken dinner circuit, right? Yeah, yeah. Bruce would do it all and he would do a great, he would do a great job. I think you're right. Um, I, I, I don't see that happening there. I just don't. I think that, uh, you know, Ron Francis, who's the manager of, of the Seattle team, has a plan. I think as who's we said, his plan then? I think he's waiting for the whether what happens to Brindamore and then he's got got the second choice, third choice. Uh, I think you that know what's interesting too, John, and, and you will attest to this. Before Vegas, whenever there was a um, an expansion, mm -hmm. we used to talk about coaches who could coach expansion teams. Yep. Who could who could nourish encourage develop young players if that's possible and sustain the pressure of losing 50 or 60 games in a season yeah well since vegas came along i'm not sure that's the kind of guy you're looking for anymore maybe now you're looking for a guy who can you know who can win at least win a bit i mean seattle's draft almost assuredly they won't be able to compete with what Vegas was able to do. No, but it'll be better than most of the other drafts. Yeah. You know, it's the NHL has done a, uh, it's quite a shift from the, the, the previous expansions where you got the 18th or 19th best player on a roster. Vegas got the eighth or ninth best player off a roster. Uh, and those are the same rules that Seattle will live by when their expansion draft occurs in July. So Ron Francis does have the ability to go and create a roster um, that, you know, is going to be better than some of the teams that exist in the NHL right now. Mm. I mean, it, it, I mean, he's, yeah, I think so. He's yeah. not going to have to work hard at doing that because there are going to be, there's going to be a surprise or two of names of players that are on that, uh, on the non-protected list that will become quality players in Seattle and what a great place to play. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a, a, it's going to be a win-win for the team and it's going to be the win for the player as well. Is there any chance Tortorella and Tockett don't coach next year? Uh, I'd be shocked. I, I, I really would be shocked. Um, I, I, I mean, when, I think, when, when, I think when if you, it happened, it would be by their choice. Like they would decide not to coach. And that's really what I'm asking. And I, and I think both of them, I think that the way that the, 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 the contract or the announcement of their, their contracts not being renewed were issued, the press release, I, I think that John and Rick both have an idea where they're going. I think that they have had preliminary discussions, informal discussions, non-tampering accusations, uh, discussions. Um, and, and let's face it, both believe in their abilities to coach. I think Rick Tockett is a, a really good coach. Uh, and it's hard to, people will shake their heads, but uh, the people in and around a dressing room that John Tortorella coaches, all they do is rave about John Tortorella. That's all they do. You heard Nick Foligno talk about him yeah. when he was on with us, how great John Tortorella was. Daniel and Henrik Sedin in Vancouver, when they made their last two or three visits as players to Columbus, 
made special walks over to the arena just to say hello to Tortorella because he had such a special relationship with them. This guy is an amazing person inside the walls of a dressing room um, and, uh, and has a code that he lives by and expects his players to live by. And for the most part, for the most part, not every player, but for the most part, players revel in it and love it. And they, and they actually like the con- when he creates conflict with them, when he tells them and looks them in the eye and said, you played bleeping bad today. By the end of the day, they're turning and saying, hey, thanks for the pep talk. Appreciate it. Not every player, but lots of players do do that. Tortorella, Tortorella going back to New York is a fascinating scenario. Um, the, the confrontations he had with Brooks uh, <laughs> were classic. I mean, they're still shown on highlight shows today. Yeah. But is that even, is that even a possibility? Yes. And, and, and yes. I, it is, huh? Yep. Yep. You know, again, it, it, it goes to the relationships and friendships that John Totorella builds with people. Um, he has a strong relationship with Glenn Sather. He has a very good relationship with Jim Dolan, the owner of Madison Square Garden. So from that perspective, it's one that is, is not out of the realm of, of, what could happen. I'm not saying it's done. I'm not, but I'll tell you what, when, when they announced that uh, with, with the, with the, the combination of, 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 of John Davidson and, um, and uh, Jeff Gorton being fired in New York and John Tortorella's uh, contract not being renewed, I had five phone calls within an, uh, 10 minutes suggesting that it was Tortorella to the Rangers. Suggesting that it's done, it's already pre-approved. Essentially, no, that don't like, like don't rule it out. Don't rule it out. That that, that, that there's where where there's smoke, there's fire. No, nothing's happened since. By the way, Larry Brooks. I don't know if you read Larry Brooks, but New, Larry Brooks in the New York Post uh, yesterday uh, wrote that if John Tortorella does come back, know full well that he and Tortorella will have um, some level of uh, of agreement that if they do get into these arguments, it will be private and then they will put it on YouTube or Netflix and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it's, it's, it's out there, man. Do not rule out John Tortorella to the New York Rangers. Well, I don't rule out anything. Um, but when I, and look at coaches have gone back yep. um, for a second, third time, even. And, and in New York, they're certainly familiar with it, at least those that are old enough to remember Billy Martin. How many times did Billy Martin go back to the New York Yankees? Three. Three? Yeah. yeah. So now I don't think that that's of any relevance. No. no. Claude Julian went to the Montreal Canadiens twice. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, there's a, there becomes, in this, in this sport particularly, there becomes a comfort factor. And it becomes one where the owner and the, and the coach and the owner and the manager and the coach have a level of, of comfort with each other and a level of communication with each other that they say, it's not worth any other angst other than let's just stick with this guy. Listen, you, you, you talked about Bruce Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau got an interview back in Washington before they hired Peter Laviolette. Yeah. You know, don't, uh, don't rule anything out these days. Well, even here in Toronto. Punch Imlac got rehired, correct? 
years later, but for a brief period of time. That was, I know a, that was laughable, but that, that was a soap opera. That was, oh man, that was um, crazy. And didn't Roger Nielsen get fired and rehired in Toronto? Well, he, he was fired on a Thursday and came back with a bag over his head, uh, or he was supposed to come over out with a bag over his head. Right. That's what Harold wanted. Yeah. But he didn't do it, but he, but, uh, um, so, but technically, I mean, that, but that was just Harold. I mean, was he trying well, to drum up attention? What was Harold doing? You knew Harold. Come on now. Well, I don't know him anymore. And no, I, I said, knew. you knew Harold. Oh, thank you. Um, more by reputation. I was actually trying to think the other day whether I ever had him on the show. And I think once, but I'm not even 100% sure of that. John. That, that uh, reminds me of a story. So when the Maple Leaf, I, I, for, you know, if there was a 15 or 16 year window where I worked in Western Canada and did all the hockey night in Canada games in Winnipeg and Calgary and Edmonton and Vancouver. And obviously the Maple Leafs were here. They had a, they had their own producer and he, he did games on Saturdays and Wednesdays at Maple Leaf Gardens or wherever they were. And Harold was, so difficult to work with in Toronto. He was so difficult. It was I hard was for him. Yeah. And then the team would come to Calgary and he would come to Edmonton and come to Vancouver. Hey, Mr. Beller, would you like to come on? Sure. When do you want me? And so, and, and I mean, I don't know whether Harold knew it would work. It wouldn't, wouldn't happen. So all we did was that we would just record the interview and send it, <laughs> send it back to Toronto. This is before, Toronto, yeah. send it back to Toronto and they would run it two days later. This is before satellites and, uh, and, and, the, and the work. So Harold was a different guy outside of Toronto trying to be the intimidating foe to everybody uh, in the media and his, his business partners as he was trying to help the game in Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. I remember those days, John, yes, to, had to take the film <laughs> and put it on the back of a donkey and uh, give him a slap on the butt and send him down the road. And, uh, you know, six months later, the donkey would arrive in Toronto and the rest of the country would get to see it. Uh, we'll take the break. That, and, that's, uh, that's hurtful. That's hurtful. That's well, hurtful. I didn't awful. say it wasn't true, but it's hurtful. It, it is hurtful. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, back after these messages. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon. So uh, we spent all this time talking about coaches primarily in the National mm -hmm. Hockey League. Uh, there's a coach in another sport whose uh, season has come to a conclusion, and it was a, a season. Or close, close. I mean, they got, what, they got two more games, one more game? Well, they're of no consequence. I mean, look at the lineup they put out there the other day. <laughs> yes, I know. So. Um, Were you the starting point guard? Were you, it was you, you and. I was extremely disappointed that, that I did not get a phone call. Well. I, I'm sure they'll blame the border for that, Bob. Well, I don't think they're blaming the border. I think they're blaming lack of talent. And and I, it's hard for me to argue that point. Now, Nick Nurse um, looked like he was sent from the heavens. He gets the job, uh, it, essentially moves into the job after being beside Casey for all those years mm -hmm. and wins a championship right away. I mean, that's about as good a start as you can get to a career. The problem mm. with that is you can't match that. As long as you coach, it's going to be almost impossible to come up with one that is more significant than winning a championship in your first year. So uh, last year was whatever it was. And you mean the bubble year? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they played well during the regular season. They played okay in the bubble 
and then got bounced uh, by a Boston team that I don't think was better than them, but they sure played better than them. Mm-hmm. The Raptors were lucky to take it to seven games. This year, I don't know. I mean, do you blame? Does Nurse take responsibility for what happened this year? Or was this a management decision and an injury? Well, don't, don't, and, 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 don't, and don't forget the, the two other issues that I think that I think probably bought Nick Nurse another year. Not, not to say he was on a short fuse, but uh, I, I think that there's lots of people in the organization just throw this one out was, A, the move to Tampa. Because even though early on they said, ah, oh, it's not a problem, everybody's there. It's a problem. It was an issue. Yeah, and then the, then the COVID issues that this team had itself. Yeah. Well, uh, is, I mean, I, I think this is one year where you, 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 you throw away and you say, okay, Nick, never mind. There were times, I think, early on that Nick Nurse probably did his best coaching uh, for this team to, to keep them relevant. Well, and then another... it just got to a point where after the COVID issue, it was, it was moot. Quickly, another, another issue here might be Masai's future. Coaches are often tied to general managers. And you can say that Masai isn't the general manager, he's the president, but he makes those decisions, I think, for the most part. If he's not here, how does that affect Nick Nurse? And I'm not asking you to analyze that. I'm just saying yeah. we don't really know. Well, no, except, except, except I, I think, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Bobby Wagner contract was announced when it was, to, was to maintain some stability, to make sure that everybody understood inside the organization and outside the organization that this, this group of people was going in the same direction with or without Maasai. That the general manager who, you know, you know studied at, at the foot of the master has a good handle of what's going on here. Bobby, has, we know Bobby Wagner's done a lot of the legwork. Webster. Bobby Webster. Did I say Bobby Wagner? Yeah. Right. He's a linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. Bobby Webster. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think we all know that he's done a lot of the, the legwork for Masai anyway. So uh, that, that to me is, that, that to me is not a problem about whether Masai's here or not. Uh, we got to go. We'll uh, catch you tomorrow. Thanks all for uh, watching or listening as the case may be. We'll see you then.